Hi everyone, it's Aaron from the Arrow Meta Show. Sadly, due to technical situations beyond our control, we are unable to bring you this week's episode. However, I'm going to give you at least something this week, so here is two episodes from Dream Machine. Uh, The first one is Chicken Run, and the next one is The Crudes. So, uh, I'm going to try and get this episode up as quick as we can, and hopefully it'll come up in the next couple of days, but uh, just until then, here's something to hold you over. Okay, take care guys, and bye for now. Aaron. My name is Patricia. Okay, so uh, in this uh, episode of um, Dream Machine, we're going to be talking about uh, a film which actually is quite close to my heart, actually. Uh, not just uh, from uh, an animation fan standpoint, not just from a um, a uh, a uh, Aldman animation standpoint, uh, but uh, also as uh, from a from a British standpoint as well. So uh, yeah, yeah. And it being the day of uh, Remembrance Day, I think it's appropriate to kind of talk about this film in a way. So. Uh, Absolutely. Here we go. heard of Armand Animations. They are the famous uh, production uh, team uh, behind the uh, behind the duo Wallace and Gromit, and uh, they were massively big uh, during the uh, pinnacle of uh, the BBC days, and also uh, they went on to have a worldwide phenomenon with this as well. And so, uh, imagine my excitement uh, when I find out that they're actually going to be doing a DreamWorks film, and uh, oh my goodness, did it deliver to a good degree. Chicken Run is a 2000 British-American stop-motion animation family film produced by Armand Animations and directed by Peter Law and Nick Park. It was the first feature-length film to be produced uh, by the Academy Award-winning uh, creators of Wallace and Gromit, and the first produced in partnership with DreamWorks Studios, uh, which was co-financed uh, and was also co-financed by Parthe uh, in distribution with the film in America. The film features uh, the voices of Julius uh, Sawala, uh, Smell Gibson, uh, to t- Timothy Spur- Spell, uh, Phil Daniels, uh, Tony Hegraf, and uh, Miranda Richardson. Uh, Chicken Run received a huge, uh, good critical acclaim, and uh, rightly so. Uh, it is uh, it's paying homage to The Great Escape, and uh, it's uh, The Great Escape, for those of you who do not know, it's actually a, a 1963 American World War II epic film that depicts the escape of the British Commonwealth prisoners of war from German POW camps. And uh, I felt that's the reason why I thought it was appropriate to talk about it on Remembrance Day, because, yeah, I... Um, 
we should remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice, but uh, there were those who also were in, in fear of uh, being also part of that sacrifice as well, who also kept up in uh, concentrate in uh, POW camps. And so, uh, actually, in a way, I kind of wanted to give them a nod as well for bringing up this today. So, yes, uh, and for all of our American listeners out there, Remembrance Day is the same equivalent as Veterans Day. Yeah, and it's actually uh, the, this Remembrance Day is actually a hundred years after the uh, on the anniversary of the, uh, the start of the First World War. So, yeah, yeah, that's crazy if you can believe that. So on. November 11th, 1918 was when they decided to sign off the uh, final declaration for peace in World War One. Well, actually, so, no, this was actually the start of World War One. I. I don't think the declaration was signed until uh, years later, I don't think. Oh, that's so, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, um, Chicken Run yeah, was definitely a huge risk amongst uh, Ardman Animations because it was their very first full-length animated film because, as previously mentioned, they were known for their Wallace and Gromit shorts. So they really worked hard in terms of like doing the movie. It took like a whole week to do just one minute of the movie. And as of right now, if you can believe it, with all the other stop motion animated movies that has come out over many, many years, it is still the highest grossing stop motion movie in theaters. I'll tell you what. It has beat the life of Nightmare Before Christmas, Coraline, Paranorman, and various others. And it's still still has the ranking almost 20 years later. I'll tell you what, I'm actually looking forward to talking about the end of this because uh, I'm uh, I'm actually going to be mentioning something that actually is a very shocking piece of trivia. So okay, uh, let me... Uh, good. So anyway, uh, let's talk about the, uh, the chicken run. The Tweedies are the middle-aged couple who run a struggling chicken farm uh, somewhere in a place called Yorkshire. Yorkshire, for those of you who do not know in America, is uh, sort of like the countryside uh, uh, midland part of... Uh, of uh, the United Kingdom, and uh, so uh, they're, they're the biggest, uh, most well-known uh, area, I'd say, was probably Leeds, I think. Yeah, there, and, and I can argue that this probably takes place around the 1950s, too, because, you know, there's mention of the RAF, which is the Royal Air Force, and there's kind of like, um, if you like look in the background, uh, you know, with like the radios and the televisions, and even like the advertisements for something that happens much later in the film, and even some of the music, I think that possibly it was maybe taking place around like the 50s or 60s mm, yeah i guess so, maybe to kind of like homage you know the great escape well yeah i think uh, on top of that i think in regards to keep in mind like uh, there was americans who came over to britain to help fight against the nazis so uh, it was uh, sort of like uh, it sort of kind of like par- it kind of made parody of all of that so um so they they, they run this chicken farm and uh, the chickens are, are constantly plotting to try and get try and escape uh, the chicken coop has been running a style of a uh, world war ii prisoner of war camp uh, which the chickens are accountable for the number of eggs they lay daily uh, their official leader ginger has um has attempted numerous escapes to flee from the coup but is routinely thwarted by mrs mrs mr tweedy and his dogs uh Ginger becomes uh, increasingly desperate to find a plan to escape for after Edwina. Another hen has not laid her eggs for several days and is slaughtered as a result. That so. is pretty... That is terrifying, if you can think about it. It's like, if you're not able to do your job, you get killed. I know. And, like, they pretty much, like, uh, every... Um yeah, they, they really did a good job of, like, making this uh, whole world look so grim. Like, uh, and they may give them the reasons why they need to escape. And so I think they've done. Uh, I think they did really well in the intro to kind of like explain all the uh, what what they were going through at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, like, how many chicken farms do you know of that has barbed wire, guard dogs, and steel um, gates? 
Like yeah, that is would. way too extreme. I know. It's like it is. It is in every sense of the word a POW camp, pretty much uh, in that. So uh, in the in the film, they are egg laying. They are basically egg farmers. But uh, the, the Mrs. Tweedy finds out that uh, her in, finds out that her income is dropping quite uh, badly due to uh, the um, due to the problems with say selling eggs uh, on the market. So a magazine suggests they're bringing a new way to bring in more profits. Uh, Ginger attempts to uh, rally the other chickens in spirit so they will speed up their efforts to escape. However, she soon comes uh, to the conclusion that the only viable plan is to go over the fence, uh, something that uh, she has not been tried yet. Actually, I tell you what, actually, I'm really glad that I'm really happy that uh, they you know they show that the whole over the fence and they like put like the uh, the uh, the the chicken on the um, on you know the whole demonstration of uh, on the on the on the springboard and then they spring it into the wall and uh, everybody just goes into a panic. About yeah, yeah. Basically, it's like a boiled turnip uh, that is like a chicken, and you know, then it, when it crashes into the wall, then they like, oh no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to be like all smushed into, um, you know, paste into a wall if we're going to try to attempt to escape. So, yeah, I, I think that one of the things that I really do appreciate about Ginger in this uh, movie is that you know she could have escaped so easily many, 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 many times, but she's willing to help all of the chickens become free, which makes her a really great leader because she cares about everybody else. Well, we have uh, later on in the movie about somebody who just cares about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the chickens are, are surprised uh, by a large piece of equipment being delivered to the farm following Mrs. Tweedy's order to... Uh, f- f- uh, oh, wait, hang on a second. I think I skipped a couple of lines. Um, so, yeah, the... the um, we, we, we guess, so, after the uh, Ginger falls out with her entire entire camp, pretty much, and uh, she obviously she becomes quite depressed uh, from uh, finding out that uh, the, there's no way of getting getting out except going over the fence, uh, s- suddenly she sees a red rooster named Rocky hurtling through the air, and uh, she obviously and she, he gives him a cheeky salute, until finally he, he crash lands into one of the coops and ends up breaking, breaking his wing. Um, so there's the whole scene where uh, they, um, uh, the circus are trying to get hold of him again, and uh, then they re- Ginger realizes that he's actually from the circus, and so um, they, they, in order to, in order to um, hide, hide him, uh, they, they off Rocky offers to uh, teach them how to fly over the fence, and so obviously yeah. that whole thing's, thing's agreed. So uh, yeah, uh, Rock- I'm actually curious from you, Aaron. Um, what are your thoughts on Mel Gibson as Rocky? Um, I think he does a good job of it. I think I think as the cocky American, and uh, you know, it's kind of like the the person who's kind of like playing like to the fact that he is this kind of like flying rooster, and uh, you know, the fact that he's kind of like this uh, you know this late this this ladies rooster, if you will. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he does it rather well. I think his performance yeah. is actually pretty good. Um, I think uh, definitely, I say I think his uh, performance is a little less uh, is a little less crazy than when he was in the Passion of the Christ. So that definitely will tell you that. <laughs> but, yeah, I would I would kind of like lean in more towards like you know if if John Smith from Pocahontas was a lot more cocky. Yeah, but I think um, I don't know. Like, would 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 you prefer John Smith to be kind of like Rocky in Pocahontas? Like, Not really, but I'm just talking about like the different characters that he's voiced because he he's done his handful of voice acting over the years. Yeah, so I I think um, yeah I think Rocky actually fits this um, movie you know really really well and uh, I think is because uh, I think one of the good things about some you know with uh, movie characters is that let's say you know because at the beginning you had this whole you know very depressing scene kind of set and uh, you had kind of like uh, this is the way things are and then all of a sudden boom someone comes in and uh, creates a complete ruckus 
and uh, so yes, I think yes. that's uh, that. I think I think Rocky fits fits well as a as and also on top of that, I think the character development of of Rocky I think is uh, also very good as well. So, yeah, yeah, uh, that definitely. I think that um, it's kind of interesting that, you know, Artman Animations, who is this very British company, was able to incorporate an American into their film because previous Wallace and Gromit um, shorts didn't have any of the sort. No, I think, well, it barely had any barely had very little voice acting in it at all. Like, I think the only voice actor I think they had in it was, was the uh, was new voice, voice Wallace. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, that was that. So um, the chickens are so, so the so Rocky ends up being accepted in, and uh, he's obviously done like the whole uh, tries to get everyone uh, exercising to try and fly over the fence, and uh, you know that, that in itself was quite was quite hilarious, and uh, like trying and you see like, the whole montage of like uh, you know uh, at one point like he's ends up getting like a uh, a jacuzzi for him, and like he's uh, like he's, uh, directing them to exercise, and all of a sudden he has them all spinning around. You know, because he's wants a, he wants a shoulder massage, so like uh, that, that that bit I found quite hilarious. And uh, then when uh, you know uh, Mr. Tweedy, uh, fi- you know, suddenly starts finding that uh, uh, you know the, the chickens are exercising, and uh, he tries to point that out to uh, Mrs. Tweedy, and ends up getting like, uh, but then he finds that nothing's actually going on, and ends up getting uh, you know, whacked in the head as, as a result. I think uh, those those were good those were good scenes, I thought. And so, yeah. So, um, the, it, after all of that, the chickens are surprised by a large piece of equipment that's been delivered to the farm, following Mrs. Tweedy's orders to uh, double their feed rations. Uh, Ginger concludes that they are being fattened up for slaughter. Uh, Rocky's wings uh, completely heals after the disco party and that dance, and Ginger then is taken to Mrs. Tweedy for, uh, to test the new uh, equipment. And, uh, so, yeah, there's a lot happens in this, in, in this bit, and so I think it's a bit, a bit of an unfair... Uh, thing to know, but uh, I think so. Um, you have like the whole, um, you have the whole like, you know, at one point the whole thing gets really depressing, and so Rocky ends up having to turn the whole thing into a party in order to yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. lighten things up. I mean, as, I think that the scene that really just made it more depressing was, you know, when they find out on why that the Tweeties are not counting the eggs anymore and that they're giving them extra food, and then they find out, oh, you know, the reason why they're doing it is because they're fattening us up and they're going to kill us. And then you see everybody just sitting there depressed. And even um, Babs knits a, a, you know, like a hanging uh, uh, rope. Noose. <laughs> yeah, like a noose. It's like, damn, Good this is grief. pretty dark. Yeah. And then, of just... course, you know, I think that's, you know, Rocky, you know, pretty much, you know, lightening up the mood with them, you know, playing flip flop and fly in the radio. It, it definitely just like kind of like softens the blow that. They're showing off a noose in a kid's home. <laughs> I just think it's, uh, yeah, it's great. Um, one thing I should have mentioned for other is the Fowler character, and uh, like he's like this, uh, he's like this, uh, you know, commanding officer, if you will. But he's pretty much just like uh, it's kind of funny because he's pretty much just kind of like uh, the rest of the, um, uh, pretty much like a, a prisoner, like the rest of them are, pretty much. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, like... and and he's the only rooster in the entire, um, you know, farm. And he's really old. So, you know, I'm sure that some people know that you need a rooster and you need a hen in order for you to make eggs. Mm-hmm. So that just brings a lot of questions to me. Yeah. Well, no, I think I think hens can lay eggs on their own. I think the only way, way you get them fertilized is if you have, you have, have the rooster. And so okay, that's, when you, well, that's when you get that's, eggs. Okay, yeah. that's fair enough. But yeah, yeah. The, the only thing that Fowler does a lot in this movie is he's, you know, talking about that 
um, you know, Rocky is not to be trusted because he's an American and, you know, his REF days and, um, oh yeah, you know, like, goes, like, just... in, like in my day, we had this, that, and the other. And uh, though I, I don't know, like uh, it's, uh, it's, it's you get really do get engaged with the character. But do you think the, do you think then when uh, I mean we'll talk about that in the final scene, but I think there's a part of that that makes it all fall apart in a way, and you start to kind of like think, uh, you know, I don't know if it's done for comedic value. But anyway, we'll get to that part. In I, a I think it's a bit well, of a cop out, but we'll, we'll definitely get to that. Yeah. So, um, uh, Ginger ends up getting dragged to the machine, which is obviously going to make her into a chicken pie. And uh, so Rocky ends up ends up having to go into re- going for the rescue. And uh, oh my god, this has in- this has Indiana Jones written all over it, pretty much. Like, uh, yeah, they, yeah. They and get- I'm really impressed with the um, the way that this thing is done because you know they uh, again I mentioned earlier each and every single scene took uh, you know for an entire week. It, it took like one minute to do. So you can imagine all the hard work that they had to do with the with the machine in terms of like the blades and, you know, the making of the dough and the gravy and the vegetables and the oven and everything and, you know, making it all action pack and quick. I mean, that that shows you that, you know, Ardman worked really hard with that scene. It's very impressive. Yeah. So uh, after that whole scene, uh, they, both the Tweedies wonder what on earth had happened, and uh, I don't know if this was the point where Mrs. Tweedy started to suspect that Rocky was in the um, in in the in in the farm because uh, I, she... I don't think I don't th- I don't think they ever know that Rocky was even there. Yeah, I thought at one point I thought they actually actually suspected he was that she he was there, and so um, and then as I, as I as think we... there were just more. I think it was just more the fact that you know Ginger has been you know causing a lot of trouble and. Um, you know, they thought that the machine just malfunctioned and then they find out about that the carrot was, you know, stuck into the, the gravy dispenser. But yeah, uh, then there, you know, it buys them a little bit more time that, um, you know, the, the Tweeties are going to be focusing on fixing the machine and then Rocky's uh, wing gets healed. And so now Rocky's in a conundrum that he has to showcase to the other chickens about how to fly so that they can be able to go away. And then eventually Rocky just comes to the truth that, you know, he can't fly. And so he goes away. And then we find out that the, um, the, the way that Rocky was able to fly was by a cannon. When, you know, he gives the other piece of the poster that showcased Rocky as a flying rooster. Mm-hmm. So it, it definitely goes into like a really sad scene in which, um, you know, the chickens then feel that all of their hope of escaping is gone. Yeah. So, um, we get, we get to the point where, um, even Fowler is uh, impressed with, uh, um, uh, Rocky's, um, um, heroics, uh, quote unquote, I guess you can say, because it was pretty much Ginger. I mean, it was Rocky who uh, got, uh, got into uh, the machine with, uh, with Ginger, but then it was, um, uh, you know, Ginger had to basically drag Rocky out afterwards. So I guess you could say maybe they saved each other, I guess. I guess in the whole yeah, I guess I guess you could say yeah, I guess you could say that. You know, it, it definitely gives Rocky a much more grounded nature and it helped Ginger with, you know, being a little bit more uh loose in terms of not taking everything so seriously. But at the same time she was still caring about what happened to the rest of her friends. And yeah, they definitely helped each other a lot more. They they kind of like complimented each other actually. Yeah. 
So um, the so we get to the part where uh, Fowler even surrenders the bunker for uh, Rocky to have a night's kit before obviously the flying demonstration, uh, which, which uh, the, then the morning comes and then uh, they find out that Rocky is actually nowhere to be found, and then uh, so here's here's the thing about this. And by the way, uh, I think we're going through spoilers. I think through much Demon Dream Machines. I think everyone knows what to expect. Um, the uh, there's been a, a poster that's been equipped with Rocky this entire time, and uh, he, Ginger has only had about. Only had um, like like two thirds of it, and uh, Rocky has been keeping a secret for the uh, the third of the poster, and uh, wraps it up in uh, the medal that uh, Fowler gave to him. And uh, when uh, Ginger finds out, she uh, tearfully puts it together and uh, finds out that uh, Rocky this entire time has not been flying, but he's actually been shot out of a cannon. Yeah, yeah, and you know, then you know, it, it gets into a much more like I don't want to say like comedic kind of drama moment but then everybody's just started fighting with each other in the mud and you know then ginger realizes that the only way that they were going to get out is if they made a plane and you know they called it a crate yeah but um then they decided to like get various pieces of you know of nails and wood and all that stuff and they decided to like make a plane in secret while mr tweedy was building up the um machine back so that it can function and we didn't mention this throughout the entire discussion of this podcast but there are two rap characters in this movie Oh yeah, there's. Um, I believe uh, one of them was uh, one of them was Fetcher um, and uh, one yeah, of them Fetcher was and Nick. Nick. Yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, I guess um, I think uh, I sometimes wonder about their characters because I mean I, I guess they're a bit. I guess they're not too aware of the situation that the chickens. I think find themselves in i don't think and uh, so i mean uh i guess the i guess the kind of characters you can't really sympathize with i think at the beginning because no it's like, not really because no. they're only there for business they're yeah. only giving things and they you know help ginger out with like supplies and then the, you know in exchange they ask for eggs which you know at the time was too valuable for them to give away and throughout the entire time all they're doing around is just saying a whole bunch of bird puns so mm. Yeah. Uh, then you know they start becoming a lot more important when the scene of them building the plane comes along when they decide that um you know they, they can give away their eggs because their eggs uh, don't really mean that much anymore and so you know they get the supplies and then afterwards you know they start building everything and then oh how, eventually... how, much, how much production must have gone into like the whole crate building scene like you know, you had to uh, you know make it so that uh, the 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 huts actually uh, you know well like kind of like transformers in a way like you know they had to like okay well the roof has to do this and uh, then they have to all fit in that way so it's uh, you know it kind of reminds me of uh, have you seen the uh, the well the infinite Hershey bar trick of like you know taking like uh, one bit away and then uh, make putting other bits in the in the side. You know, if yes. making, yeah, and like, it's kind of like uh, you know they had to pretty much uh, had to uh, make all the uh, the uh, chicken coops transform into this plane, and so yeah, that was that, that was a pretty that was a pretty epic thing to watch. And, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And then eventually, Mr. Tweedy fixes the machine before they even finish the plane. And then they decide, okay, we're just going to take off right away. And then, of course, we have this big buildup with them, you know, um, showing off what the plane looks like. And um, then eventually, you know, the chickens are ready to, like, um, you know, pedal it with their, um, yeah, you know, kind of like bicycle yeah. pedals. But before that happens, obviously, Mr. Tweedy finally finds out what they're, what they're up to, and uh, then the chickens uh, start attacking him. 
and uh, that was a, that was a pretty uh, that was a pretty crazy moment at that time because you know like you have a, you have a, you know saying Mrs. Tweedy the chickens are revolting and she just turns around and says oh that's uh, finally something we can agree on. So, uh, yeah, which that's actually a really clever double joke because revolting in a sense of which they're fighting and then revolting in a sense of which they're despicable. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously then we get to the point where um, uh, Fowler actually has to pilot the crate, but uh, they finally find out that he's actually never piloted anything in his life and that he's actually just been a mascot for the RAF. So, uh, it's a bit of a that was kind of dumb. Was yeah, dumb it was. But so you know, at the end of the day, what what else do you think he was going to be doing in the RAF? I mean, that's like true, that's true. I mean, I guess he, you know, be, being a mascot, it does make a lot of sense. And also, it just kind of questions about like, you know, if it, you know, maybe Mister Tweedy was part of the RAF as well. I don't know. Like, uh, I, I tell you, the, the Mr. Tweedy's actually kind of a confused character in this because in the original DVD release, he's actually is he's actually is listed as uh, as uh, as uh, Mrs. Mrs. Tweedy's husband. But then, like, I think in the in the movie, like, I think in other variations, I think he's actually made into something else. So it's mm. like because if you remember, like, uh, uh, Mrs. Tweedy only starts referring to herself as Mrs. Tweedy when she uh, starts making the starts planning to make the chicken pies and says, "Oh, it's a woman's touch." So kind of yeah. insist, in, in, in kind of like uh, you know, saying that so she's actually not married to him or something like that, or like he's like some other person. Like, yeah, yeah, it, like Mrs. Tweedy kind of treats Mr. Tweedy as not like a husband, but more like just somebody that she needs for you know, take her for her to get to the top, you know. So she basically yeah. just uses him. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, so um, we get to the part where um, they obviously have to take off in the crate, but so Mrs. Tweedy won't allow them, and uh, that ends up uh, they end up getting uh, fly flying off into the getting the crate into the sky. But uh, Mrs. Tweedy's uh, still um, grabbing on from the uh, from the end, and oh my god, they t they turn her into a complete monster at the very end. It's almost kind of like uh, the same way that uh, uh, Coella Deville, pretty much, you say you know her uh, devilish side kind of comes out of the, in the final third. So yeah, not, not... it's it's pretty crazy, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, then uh, Rocky comes back into the rescue after uh, obviously having a guilt trip and uh, decides to come in and uh, at the very last minute. And uh, you know, I'm I'm glad they put in like uh, the fact that Ginger didn't agree, you know uh, forgive him automatically. And uh, so uh, she as he says he slaps him for the thing that's for leaving. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad he didn't go back in. But uh, you know, I think she was grateful that uh, obviously Rocky came in for the uh, for the save. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and, that... and then, of course, you know, Mrs. Tweedy just goes absolutely insane and in trying to like put down the the the, the plane, and you know, tr and she has an axe in her hand, and she basically is trying to climb up so she can basically just kill off the chickens. Yeah. So um, yeah, that, that that bit when uh, they think that uh, you know uh, Ginger's had her head chopped off and stuff like, oh, that was. Uh... So, I I kind of knew that she was going to be okay, but even then, that scene was pretty intense. When uh, yeah. the way that they also you know, made it all kind of a bit graphic as well, in a way. Yeah, like, like this movie doesn't pull any punches. You can definitely tell that this was not an American movie. Yeah. So you know, it turns if out. If you were to take a look at some like, um, you know, like a, a movie from like maybe Japan or maybe a European film, like they would, you know, talk, talk about stuff that would never get away in America. Yeah. So the very it turns out that uh, Mrs. Tweedy hasn't actually cut, cut off uh, Ginger's head, and that uh, she's actually cut the cut the uh, the Christmas lights that uh, she was hanging on to, and uh, ends up getting launched back into the machine, and the machine explodes. 
Yeah. And so, did it destroy the entire farm? I can't remember. It, it destroyed it. the entire farm. Oh, okay then. So, uh, yeah, you'd be very surprised that uh, she made it out alive. Thinking about it. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, the only thing that w happened was that she was just covered in gravy. Well, then she got the door slammed on her as well. So, uh, there yeah, was... so she, she's probably dead. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, Mr. Sweetie says, uh, I told you they were organized. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know, Chicken Run was such a fun film. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we, we both uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I just uh, think that, uh, you know, it was worth bringing it up you know, to, uh, on, on, the, on, on today of all days. So, uh, yeah. Definitely. So, what was the fact that you wanted to discuss about? So, uh, oh yeah. Um, so, at the very end of this, uh, you know, you know, we said in the last episode that Shrek only took 16, 60 million dollars to make. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all the stop motion technology, all the, the patience that had to go into it, all the all the weeks that must have had to have gone into it. Guess how much it actually was it cost uh, both uh, Armin Animations and DreamWorks Productions. Uh, how much? Forty-five million dollars. That's a lot less. Wow. And it's stop motion. And again, it takes a lot of time for you to do that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, and uh, also, it's uh, definitely uh, paid off because it took about $224 million at the box office. Yes. And like I said, like I mentioned earlier, it's still to this day the highest grossing stop motion movie of all time. Mm -hmm. So, that was a, a, dare I say, a very fun episode of Dream, of Dream Machine. And, uh, yes. So, yeah. And uh, I actually, uh, there was actually an, an article. I don't know if you um, recall on, you know, this, but um, there was an article that came out uh, recently. I think it was back in last April from if i were to remember i think it was from empire online where they discussed about that they're gonna do a sequel on chicken run wow that's gonna be that would be interesting to say the least because uh, i mean because at the very end like uh, they all pretty much had they're pretty much all settled down with their families and everything they all lived happily ever after i guess you could say yeah yeah but as of right now nothing new has come out of it so Maybe it'll be similar to Ants in which, you know, they were thinking about doing a sequel, but then it just kind of like fell through. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if they end up making it. I don't know. Will it? I mean, they say that they're going to do the Chicken Run movie, whether it's going to. I don't know whether they're actually going to make it a sequel or not. Or, uh, maybe it'll be a prequel. Hmm. Maybe, they, maybe they might do it where it's like, you know, years in the future and maybe, you know, uh, Rocky and, uh, you know, um, uh, Ginger probably Ginger. Pa passed on, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe, um, maybe you know, the place that they were staying at, the the bird, pres uh, you know, sanctuary. Maybe it's being, um, you know, discovered by Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Tweedy, and maybe they found them, and maybe they're going to go capture them again. So yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I think uh, I think if if it was up to me, I'd give I put in different antagonists. I think, uh, okay, I think maybe maybe, maybe uh, like a different bird antagonist or something. That'd be maybe. kind of fun. Yeah. Oh, who knows? But yeah, so as of right now, there hasn't been no new information that came out of Empire in terms of like the sequel, no story information, no um, word from Ardman Animation. So yeah, we'll definitely have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, cool. Okay, well, from me, Aaron. And Patricia. Take care. I'm back for now. See you later. Oh.
Welcome to the Dream Machine. My name is Aaron. And my name is Patricia. Hey, Patricia, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, happy Thanksgiving to you as well. And uh, yeah, uh, though, there's part of me that believes uh, right now with all things going on in the, wor- in the world right now, I feel like we're going back to the Stone Age for some strange reason. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, it's just, we need to get away from our Neanderthal ways and see if we can take a journey towards getting closer to one another. Yeah, I feel like I'm living in a cave all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, uh, I guess better in a cave than under a rock, I guess. So well, That's true, that's yeah, true. Mind you, that's about to change. So here we go. Talking about the Crudes, formerly known as Crude Awakening, it is a 2013 American animated uh, comedy adventure film from DreamWorks Productions and distributed by 20th Century Fox. It features the voices of Nicolas Cage, Emma Stone, Ryan Reynolds, Catherine Keener, Clark Duke, and uh, Clarice Leachman. Uh, the film is uh, set in a fictional prehistoric uh, era known as the Crudacious Period, uh, the period which contains fantasy, fan- fantasy creatures uh, when a man's uh, position as leader of the hunt is threatened by the arrival of prehistoric genius who comes up with revolutionary new inventions like fire and the such. So, I mean, uh, just to start off, really, I mean, I guess usually we talk about a bit about the story, but I've got to be honest with everybody, um, you'll have to tell us which story to pick. Because, uh, and uh, on top of that as well, like, I just feel like they've just shoved so much into this film. It just doesn't click with me. I don't know if you feel the same way, Patricia. Yeah, this, uh, very similar to a lot of the movies that we discussed about in Dream Machine, this went through a major developmental issue. Um, I'm just going to let everybody know right now that um, we cannot talk about the crews without talking about the movie that came out previously, which is Rise of the Guardians. So um, after the production of Rise of the Guardians, DreamWorks went through kind of like a shift and change. A lot of animators, writers, and producers kind of like left, and it kind of gotten DreamWorks into a bit of a, a bit of a pickle. And so th- this movie was originally supposed to be released in 2012, but it was delayed for about another year to kind of fix things up a bit. They hired Chris Sanders, you know, the guy who wrote Lila and Stitch. Uh, He was also the writer for How to Train Your Dragon, and they brought him into the mix. And believe it or not, this movie was also co-written by John Cleese. Mm. So yeah, it's like you think. Also, yeah, with John Cleese as well, you think there was going to be some like some of that Monty Python, you know, that real, um, you know, old-fashioned humor that was going to be put into it. And don't, don't get me wrong, like it is, it is in there. It just, I just feel, feel like it's not executed well. Yeah, the reason why is because that this was supposed to be originally an adaptation of Roald Dahl's uh, book called The Twits. But, and this was originally supposed to be, um, you know, re- uh, this was like announced around 2005. And, you know, then, you know, there was like some mixtures. Uh, it went from, you know, going over to DreamWorks and it was over to Ardman Animations and it went back to DreamWorks. And yeah, this movie went through a big, big shift and change over the course of a couple of years. And so this is our final product. Now, a lot of people have argued about when was the downfall of DreamWorks right before they kind of like went over to their dark age of um, animated films. Was it The Croods? Was it Rise of the Guardians? 
But uh, yeah, I guess we'll be discussing more later on uh, throughout the course of our Dream Machine discussion. So let's actually discuss about the crews. Yeah. So, I mean, again, like I know one of the things like we do in Dream Machine, as we've done with Picks Mix, is that we usually just go through the story and go through it. But I've got to be honest with everybody. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what story really to kind of focus on, really, because we've got the story with the da- with the dad of the whole thing. We got the um, then we got this story with Guy and the relationship that uh, they have with Eep. And then we've got the uh, rivalry between the fa- the father and the uh, the old woman uh, in this, you know, the, the grandmother character in this. And then we've got the, um, you know, basically elements of the good dinosaur, I would say, kind of mixed into this as well, along with other elements of, like, I I get what they were going for here. They were going for, like, um, like this is the issues that, all, like, a normal everyday family kind of go through. Like, yeah, uh, you, yeah, know, yeah. I, I, like uh, you know, the, the, mind you, like, I don't know, like, doesn't it feel like, you know, with the overbearing, like, ogreish dad, if you will, you know, for, for, you know, if here we are with the Dreamers, so I'm going with an ogreish characters, you know, where, you know, not Shrek, like, uh, and, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, uh, but then it feels like it's even going further than that. I feel like we're going back to the Flintstones here watching this. Yeah, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Because, I mean, here you have a caveman with a family and you know him trying to protect his family especially his daughter and then comes along some other guy who seems to be way smarter than everybody else and yeah it just kind of like there's a mixture there's like the father with the daughter then there's like the guy with the daughter then you have the man with the old woman and then you have the guy with the um, with the daughter it's like it's kind of like mixed and there's just so much going on and yeah, just- at the same time there's not really much going on either I know, it's like, it just feels like, uh, you know, you, mind you, the, the problem is, is that I think these are some of the characters we've kind of seen before in films. Like, uh, the, the, the thing here I don't think is actually kind of original. Like, you've got the uh, the ogreish dad, which is kind of like Shrek. You've got Eep, which is kind of like, uh, you know, uh, a mix between Merida and, uh, you know, some various other kind of, like, traits that Disney princesses kind of brought during the from the Renaissance to kind of that, that time. And, uh, yeah, they, and exactly, exactly. And then you have Guy, who just seems to be, like, way smarter than everybody else, which is kind of unusual. It's like, how does he know everything? I mean, which they do kind of explain, but... It's still kind of weird. And then you have, um, you know, um, Thunk, who's kind of like your dumb brother and such. It's just like, I, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to have like this average family, except that they're cave people. And they're trying to find a new home, which, you know what? It kind of reminds me of Dinosaur. Think about it. Like, you know, their home gets destroyed and then they have to go wandering around to find a new paradise. Yeah, so it feels like dinosaur. I know, and also like, look at the uh, the rounds we just gone through. We've gone through the Flintstones. We've gone to dinosaur. It's like, uh, and, and uh, you know, we, it just feels like they've really have kind of borrowed. And also the good dinosaur we just mentioned as well. It just feel like some elements of like the uh, some like other prehistoric movies and TV shows that kind of got borrowed a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah. And, yeah. And to be fair, I've I've never read the Twits, so you know I don't know how um, similar the Twits is to the Crudes. So it's nothing like the, the at least the Twits book that I wrote. It, there's nothing here in okay. regards to elements in that. Like, uh, I mean, the Twits was about a couple living in this house and uh, they basically just doing all sorts of shenanigans and they kind of hate each other as well. So one, you know, Mrs. Twit makes Mr. Twit eat worms at one point and, and, play, and uh, passes it off as spaghetti. 
which uh, I think, uh, you know, I think when they finally make a film adaptation of that, I think you're really going to need a bath bag. But, uh, I mean, but here's the thing about this. Like, uh, I just feel like a lot of what we've got here, again, is borrowed. And a lot of the stuff that they're trying to do here, I think, is, um, is more just, uh, is more eye candy. Then really, then trying to make, a, uh, trying to trying to tell a story a little bit. Uh oh, uh, you know, I, are you trying to insinuate what I think you are? It's a tech demo. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but here's the thing. Like, I don't even think I can even say that because I mean, wasn't I mean? Here's the thing. What came first? Was it the Croods or the Good Dinosaur? I can't remember which. Uh, uh, the Croods came first. Okay. The Good Dinosaur came out in 2015. All right then. So I guess I could say it's not. I guess you could say it's not a um, another you know, redemption of. Uh, Oh, the good but, but, but like I mentioned that, but... before, you know, this was like the the result of, you know, many, many years of, you know, shift and change. Remember, this was supposed to be an adaptation. Then it went over to Ardman. Then it went back to DreamWorks. Yeah. Then somebody else came along and, you know, brought in their spin to it. This was originally, you know, like, let's see, if it was 2005 that they made the announcement and then it came out in 2013, this was like seven years worth of work. Yeah. And it was originally wish, supposed to come out in 2012, and then it was delayed another year. I wish people could see my facial expression right now. I'm just kind of like, you know, just kind of like, and that was me watching the film. It was kind of like, okay, guys, um, because you know, when you're watching it, you can kind of, can't you kind of visualize the meeting in the boardroom amongst all the all the store, you know, all the writers and all like all the people, like, uh, and like, just like kind of discussing what exactly they're trying to accomplish here. Like, uh, it's like, this like saying, oh, well, you know, it's about this family going through, uh, you know, this evolution of change and, uh, like, all, you know, let's just throw in all the comedic things that a family would go through and things like that. It's just like, uh, you know, guys, I mean, I, I, you know what I would appreciate this film more? Imagine if this film was purely just about Guy coming into this family of cavemen and, uh, you know, let's say that he, he's about to, like, you know, marry Eep or something like that and uh, now he's got to go into this family. I admit, it is going to be, like, well, mind you, The Simpsons have done everything, so I guess it's, you can't really argue that but and I, and I will admit if they went in that direction it'd be kind of like a family friendly version of meet the parents like sure uh, yeah, sure. I, yeah. I, can see, I can see that I think about that. I think that would be a far more uh, well put together film. Is like, uh, oh, you know, Eep meets this guy. Like, uh, she really, Eep really likes Guy, and uh, now Guy comes into the uh, the caveman family, and uh, he has to put up with you know the uh, the uh, you know this uh, this this huge you know brainless caveman, and like his uh, his you know his uh, his crazy wife, and uh, like all the all the family members and stuff like that. You know, that would have been a way better put you know film. I think uh, sure. I mean, it would have been kind here. of cliched, but uh, at least it would have been structured in a way that is, you know, kind of a way that we can be able to see it and not be absolutely confused. Yeah. But at the same time, not just be kind of bored with just shifting and changing different types of stories, and none of them are interesting. Doesn't it feel like they've, they've like taken five films and shoved them into one? What yeah, you think about it? It, it, it kind of does. I mean, we, we just compared, you know, the Croods to a whole bunch of properties. The Flintstones, um, you know, Meet the Parents, Shrek. Yeah. And, but here's the thing, uh, like, even, even storyline-wise, putting Shrek and all the other, like, borrowed elements aside, doesn't it make you feel like, okay, the first film was, like, the first act where a guy comes into their, you know, briefly comes into their lives, or, like, uh, you know, uh, or actually, I'll tell you what, there was actually was an animated uh, series, wasn't there, called Dawn of the Croods, I think it was? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that came out a few years later, and it's on Netflix, yeah, which it yeah. would, I think that... I, I don't remember if it was the How to Train Your Dragon series or maybe the Croods. This was like definitely the first step into every single, you know, DreamWorks movie. At least most of them would 
not be on Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network. It would all go to Netflix. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. It'd be like, uh, so you have Eat Meeting Guy and uh, then trying to convince people, you know, to convince the family that Guy exists, if you will, and that, uh, oh, he's not something to be afraid of. That's the first movie. And then you have the second movie where, like, they're settled in there and then they've got to move somewhere else. And that feels like the second movie. Then you've got the third movie that where, uh, you know, the, 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 the dad has to make the sacrifice in order to save the rest of the family. And, uh, you know, I, I hate to give this... I know, mind you, we give spoilers away in, in Dream Machine, so uh, I think everyone's kind of used to that by now. But, um, you, know, you know, it feels like the third movie is, you know, the father making the sacrifice to save the rest of the family. And in my opinion, I think it would have been much harder, I think, if he, you know, much more forceful, I think, if he actually died rather than, you know, the cop-out ending that they, they gave us, in my opinion. Uh-huh. And then, like, you know, then you have, like, the throwaway fourth movie, which they're just making, which they just do just to make some cash, where they're all riding around. It, just, it feels like they had, they had an idea for, like, four or five, they had an idea for the movie, then they had another idea for, like, four or five different sequels, and then they just you know, kind of decided, oh, well, screw it, we probably might not ever get to do with them anyway, so let's just all shove these all these ideas into this film. In yeah, sure. Opinion. I get what you're saying. And, yeah. you know, um, it, it's a shame, too, because um, had the movie had been structured in a way that um, had told like one story, I think I would have been OK with it. But, yeah, the fact that we're focusing on so many characters with so many plot points, it, it just feels a little bit muddled. And, you know, uh, to be fair, I have never seen Dawn of the Crudes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about, uh, you know, how they tell their side of the story. So, yeah, I mean, you know, something like the I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe, you know, the crudes, maybe this was supposed to be like a pilot for a possible TV series. And then they were just like trying to pitch it over to Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network or somebody else. And then they never picked it up. And then eventually Netflix comes along and says, hey, we'll make an animated series out of you. And then, you know, here we go. Uh, as of right now, um, from what I understand, um, they already finished their run. They already had 52 episodes. They ended last year. So um, maybe maybe it's a much more com- complete story. And maybe that it follows, you know, the tales of what happened to the Croods in a much more simple way. Yeah. Say, the, it was last, in the uh, last episode was Guy like, duh, duh, duh. You know, the, it's, the end is coming. Like in the last episode of that. I don't know. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just I just think um, it's uh, yeah I just think it, it does feel like uh, a movie that was trying to accomplish far too much. I think, uh, in in my opinion, I think what they really needed to do, I think, uh, was just say, okay, guys, you know, I just feel like uh, when I was watching it, I felt like I, I pictured myself being in the boardroom with all the risers, and I feel like just kind of like standing up and saying, guys, 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 settle down. Let's take one theme and let's just run with that and put everything else aside. And if we make enough cash, then sure, we'll make a sequel, you know, and then we'll go with that idea. And then if we make a third one, we'll go with that idea. You know, like uh, kind of, kind of stretch it all out. Instead, you know, you got this uh, film where, and you know, here's the thing about this. You know, the reason I pick out the uh, the guy, you know, Eep storyline of like a guy going into the family, and because I think that their relationship, I think Guy and Eep's relationship is kind of cute. You know, I do ship. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, going back into the whole the whole Merida thing again, it's like if what if Merida actually did find somebody that she loved, and you know, they, you know, maybe it was somebody that 
was very smart and knew everything about the world as opposed to Merida, who was like, you know, who's like overprotected by her mother, trying to be the queen of the castle. And all she wants to do is be tough and determined and use her bow and arrow to compensate for it. So let's just have um, Eep, who was overprotected by her father and all she ever knew was her family and the little cave that they lived in. And then you have Guy who comes along and he shows her everything. And she is so enamored with it because she is opening her mind into a world that she never knew existed. I thought that that would have been a great story. And then the father comes along and says, no, I'm going to protect you because, um, you know, you don't know what what is out there. The world is a dangerous place or I don't know anything about the world. And I'm, you know, we want to stay it that way. Because in the beginning of the movie, they show that because they lived in the cave, we can assume that they were the only cave people that, like the cave family that pretty much survived. And because we don't see any uh, other cave people walking around, we just see animals. Mm-hmm. So... I would think that maybe, you know, there's a reason on why he's so overprotective because, well, the world has practically changed and there's practically nobody around and he wants to keep his family safe. And you know what? I I can definitely see it that way. I mean, there's Disney movies have pretty much um, wrote the book in terms of like overprotective fathers. The Little Mermaid. King Triton protects his daughter because he doesn't want her to go to the surface because they eat fish. And... Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, a whole bunch of other, uh, you know, reasons like, uh, Aladdin, for example, the Sultan wants, you know, the princess to marry because that's his only bloodline in ruling Agrabah. And he doesn't want her to go out there because it's dangerous out there. There's street rats and, all, and, you know, people who are, you know, really threatening out there, which uh, again is understandable. And, um, it, it's, it would have been really nice if maybe that would have been the focus. If maybe it would have focused on Eep as the main character, and you know, maybe she met is, up with is, Guy, or maybe is, Guy's isn't main she's character. kind of supposed to be the main character? The, the way they, they they fleshed her out in the first act, they kind of made it that they, she's the focus of the movie. I guess like, so, but then you kind of focus on a lot of the other characters, like mostly the dad. The dad, I guess, gets a guess gets uh, just as much screen time with him talking to his family, especially his daughter, and then him talking to Guy. So it's like we we kind of uh, have to like you know deal with the dad a little bit more yeah. than you know usual when they usually have like a few scenes or maybe they're in the background somewhere. I know it's just like but unfortunately you know putting 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 Grog in the and uh, I just find out his name finally like uh, this is the thing like uh, I only know Eep and I only know Guy like the other characters in my opinion aren't really that memorable they're kind of like uh, they're kind of characters you've already seen before in a way and uh, yeah, don't get yeah, sure. yeah don't get me wrong some of them have like their their mo like one maybe two moments maybe in the film but you know my whole focus was basically was focused on Grug, Guy and Eep I think yeah uh, pretty much I mean Ugga is very supportive and it's pretty cliche in which like oh you know the father's being overprotective while the wife is the supportive one thunk is your stupid generic little brother or older brother character who's um just there to kind of like make a bunch of dumb jokes about oh look at this thing i've never seen it before and you know he reacts to it and it's supposed to be like comic relief and then you have your generic baby character and then you have the grandma yeah and like, that's uh, pretty the, much the, it the, the um yeah and the, the names 
are not a manage imaginative at all. Like you know, it's like, uh, uh, hey, uh, what? Uh, hey, you got you uh, sipping the sipping the uh, coffee. What should we name our main character? Grog. Okay, okay, we'll go with Grog. Okay, um, y you new guy. Uh, what should we call the um? Uh, what should we call the daughter character? Eep. He's like, okay, Eep. Then we'll go with that. And uh, he's like, you know, like, it kind of feels like you know, uh, reactions that like kind of like uh, the the people in the office really more than they do feel like characters. So, sure, um, sure. Yeah, yeah. I just. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe this was supposed to be DreamWorks' equivalent to Ice Age. Um, dare I say, I think Ice Age is better than this. I mean, I, I haven't seen any of the Ice Age sequels other than the first one, but I remember that after the first Ice Age, there would be like pumping out sequels year after year practically until they released like six movies and you know the first one was a simple movie it was basically a mastodon um a saber-toothed tiger a sloth and they're trying to deliver a baby back to you know its family yeah. and you know it was like a very uh, very cute adventure story and from what i've heard and from what i remember you know the next movies didn't focus on the humans anymore they focus on other characters and the mastodon apparently found a wife and then he had a daughter and then they kept traveling because the i you know the world was being changed you know mm -hmm. It was. It went from an ice age to the ice melting, and then Pangea and stuff like that. So, maybe you know, with um, you know, Ice Age becoming like uh, Blue Sky Studios' most popular franchise, maybe this was DreamWorks' equivalent to it, and then Pixar would kind of follow it a few years later with the Good Dinosaur. Well, uh, my, my opinion is, is that I think I, the reason I say Ice Age is probably better than the Croods is because Ice Age, at least Ice Age One, was a uh, you know, you knew from the first act what this what this story was about. You knew it was about the fact that they had to return their the uh, the babies or the humans, you know, were uh, in in the uh, in, in in the film, even though it was probably against their best interests. And uh, but at least you can say. And then also you got the uh, story with the uh, with um, uh, Diego, uh, who's uh, kind of like all along for the ride, but then realizes he starts to kind of like the the company that he's got. So for me, Ice Age is far well put together than the Croods is. At least, mm. and I think that's what probably what makes it better. Like wh whether it's uh, tolerable to uh, to people you know, listening to this show, I'll leave up to I'll leave up to them. But for me, like if I if I had a choice between watching the Croods and watching Ice Age, I got to be honest with you, I'd probably watch Ice Age. Mm. Yeah, um, too bad we're not doing a Blue Sky Studios uh, retrospective. Otherwise, we would be watching all the Ice Age movies, but we're doing DreamWorks, so... Oh, that's around the corner. Don't, don't worry about that. I'm sure I'm sure, <laughs> after, I'm sure after we're done uh, what, reviewing every DreamWorks animation studio, I'm sure there's going to be that comment that says, I'd really love to hear all you watch all the Ice Age films and, think, and ask what you, what you think about them. So, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, that would be interesting. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that will be somewhere down the line. And so but I, I think that um, the final words that I have to say about the Croods is I really wish that there wasn't that much uh, developmental issues with the making of this movie because I felt like because, uh, you know, the um, they were having difficulties about what this movie was supposed to be, you know, first was supposed to be an adaptation of the twits and then it was supposed to be its own thing. Then it switched over to Ardman, then it switched back to DreamWorks and they brought Chris Sanders to write the thing. I felt like because of all the, the years of developmental problems that they had with it, very similar to The Good Dinosaur, in which they had their own fair share of developmental problems as well, in which you know the movie got delayed and then they had to recast, rewrite, and reanimate everything, then, um, yeah, I think that The Croods would have been maybe a more focused film but as it is here's an interesting thought so do you think because the crews at one point was in Ardman animation's hands do you think that probably might have been the inspiration for early man 
Oh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that were to be the case because that also features a family of cave people and, you know, them living in a society where they lived to their ways and they were rabid hunters. And, you know, then eventually they found out about another world that is beyond theirs, except that they had to bring in that plot twist that was never featured in any of the trailers or the promotions that the whole movie is about soccer. Yeah. So, uh, that, uh, that was, I, I'm sorry, but that was pretty stupid. Yeah. It was kind of like, uh, it, dare, dare I say, I mean, I've not seen early man yet, but I was just reading some of like some of the reviews. It kind of makes me feel like this is what space jam should have been like, uh, from the, from the way, at least they were, they were describing it from uh so anyway i've yet to see the film so whether early man is better than space jam i'll have to uh i'll have to you know uh, yeah i mean i've seen more or less um every single aardman animation film and yeah i have to say that i really don't remember anything about early man other than that stupid plot twist yeah so, um, yeah, I mean, um, sorry if this episode of Dream Machine hasn't turned out the way you, normally other episodes turned out, because, uh, I mean, we've got to be honest with everybody, it was, uh, that was it, really, like, uh, there was uh, a load of story shoved into it, and uh, there was this, uh, event. here's the thing about this as well, like, uh, you really didn't, if I had to point, point out where I actually started enjoying the film, it was really in the, th- in the, thir- the final third act. Like, uh, like the, the very end of the film. And it felt like they kind of shoved in, like, okay, let's shove in every kind of feel-good or every kind of emotional moment we possibly can into into this moment. And uh, so into the final part of the film, so somewhat people will kind of, like, remember the uh, the, the, the the payoff. And uh, so people will kind of, like, really leave the theatre feeling good about it for some strange reason. Even though, sure. like, uh, you know, the first and the second act were a complete waste of time, in a way. <sighs> Yeah, I guess so. I mean, just like we mentioned before, it's like a whole bunch of movies compiled together into one. You know, you have the father-daughter dynamic, you have the girl-with-the-boy dynamic, and then you have this journey dynamic, and then you have him learning about sacrifice for his family, and yeah, there's there's just so much into this movie that you don't know what to feel after you're done watching it. I know, it's kind of like, I'll tell you what, the uh, the final bit where uh, Grog starts, like, rescue, you know, start, uh, you know, flies out with, like, all the animals and stuff, kind of reminds me of, like, the, you know, the ending of Super Metroid, and, like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! So uh, I mean, we might as well throw in a land before time in there as well. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could throw that in there too. You know, it's actually funny because my friends Nero and Y Boy from Toon Grin they did a review of Spark the Space Tale, and they basically said, you know, it's basically you know all these movies compiled into a blender. You throw in any movie that you can think of, and it's there. This is basically our discussion of, hey, let's throw in this movie and throw it into a blender, and you have the cruise yeah and uh, for me it's like they should have just focused on eep and guy as the uh, as the as the main thing and yeah i know the uh, it's the it's the cliche you know oh, a guy goes into a into a, uh, a new family and uh, struggles to like uh, you know uh, you know get you know settle in and stuff like that and uh, I get that um, that's difficult to I guess I get difficult to make that original but uh, i don't know like they, they had all the tools for it i mean they had um I mean, it wasn't like going to be like because uh, I, I don't think even think uh, you know the Flintstones. What was that movie called when um, uh, Pebbles and Bam Bam got married? Uh, was it? Oh, I you're Yab- talking about uh, yeah, I yeah, but do yeah. Like you know, they could have made it a bit more original than that, I guess. Like uh, maybe, but uh, 
you know, it, it didn't look like it was going to get... Com- if they had, they could have had a good go at trying not getting it compared to anything and make something a bit original than what they had, but uh, no, I just feel like um, they confused it massively, I think. and uh, Which is a shame because, I mean, like, uh, we've not even talked about the animation yet, and uh, we've not even talked about... Because uh, I feel like it's a kind of a beautiful film in a way. Like, uh, yeah, it, sure, it, it's, sure. It's lovely to look at, and, uh, you know, uh, I just think... Uh, you know, but mind you, the character designs aren't all that. You know, I'm not going to really remember all that. I would have preferred it if they kind of like kept kind of like the warthog features on guy on guy, because uh, he loses it after the fir- after the end of the first act, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, uh, he kinda- which it, it's kind of funny that you say that because the watercolor design is what they use in the animated series. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, and uh, I guess the and also on top of that as well, and uh, I mean the amount of uh, with Ryan Reynolds being it as well, and like uh, there's part of me that believes, okay, uh, there's so much story going in here. I wouldn't be too surprised, like just like a big dimensional doorway just opens up and Deadpool comes out. Like, you know, just, <laughs> like, you know that would making... be probably something that they would have added into the movie. Maybe yeah. Deadpool three, he goes back in time and then he sees the crudes just walking around trying to find paradise, and then up oh, here comes Deadpool. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, but. Uh, yeah, in, in final conclusion, I mean, um, I mean, I know we're not even going to get get close yet to doing the you know the top worst and top best at the moment. But uh, right now, the way I'm feeling about it right now, it only just slightly goes above uh, Joseph King of Dreams right now mm. in regards to uh, how I feel about it. So uh, it's uh, out of the. Would ones... you say that it? Would you say that it's slightly more ambitious than Joseph King of Dreams? Well, he gave me this in mind. Joseph King of Dreams was a directed DVD uh, deal. So, uh, or, you know, it's a streaming, you know, but on the streaming service, if you will. So, like, you can only watch it on YouTube, and if you're lucky enough to find the DVD. But, um, in regards to, I mean, I don't think it's fair, I don't think it's incredibly fair to compare Joseph King of Dreams to, uh, to the Croods, because one's director DVD didn't have as much effort put into it, and, uh, well, the Croods, be, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, we actually haven't gone to this part yet. The Croods, uh, as a budget, uh, in total was, uh, one, $135 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will admit, it did turn over a bit more than it did turn over uh, a lot more than its budget. It turned over five hundred and eighty-five million dollars. So, uh, so it was it was uh, watched by a lot of people. Yeah, so. and uh, apparently, I mean, I don't know where this stands at the minute, but apparently there was news about potentially there being a sequel to the Crudes, but apparently it's uh, now it's up now it's been cancelled. Apparently, according to some rumors, and uh, now it's all up in the air. So I have no idea what's going on with the sequel at the minute. Yeah. Whether it's going to happen or not. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but, uh, you know, if um, they decide to uh, revisit the Croods again, uh, I think they should just focus on the relationship between, you know, Eep and uh, Guy, because they're going to be the cell, in my opinion. Like, uh, maybe, uh, you know, Grog once again. Yeah, here's the thing. Maybe with the sequel, maybe they could actually do, like, uh, the the, the Meet the Parents story, where, like, uh, Guy is now going to decide to marry into the family, and he's got to basically be one of them. Maybe, maybe they nice. could. Yeah, I mean that'll be a far. I mean, dare I say that could be one of those moments where the sequel actually seems to be, you know, uh, working a lot better than the actual original content. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Cool. Okay, so uh, that was uh, the Crudes, and that was our Thanksgiving special. So uh, we thought we might as well bring you that one because it's our pretty much our only family orientated, I think, DreamWorks film. I think pretty yeah, much. Yeah, pretty much so. I mean, we you know, we couldn't do Free Birds because that's not a DreamWorks movie. So this was kind of like our closest thing that we have. Yeah. So uh, next week, uh, what are we going to be working on next? 
Okay, so next week we're going to go back on schedule with a discussion of Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. Okay, so from me, Aaron. And Patricia. Until then, take care. Bye-bye for now. See you later.